0: Welcome to Apaga University. I'm Inga. And I'm Julie.
1: We are two entrepreneurs who have built an in-home care business from the ground up, guided every step of the way by God's care and fueled by agape love.
0: 16 years later, and over 100 podcast episodes already under our belts, we invite you to continue on this journey with us as we share stories that resonate, insights that inspire, and practical guidance that empowers you to face any obstacle along this path.
1: Whether you're a professional caregiver, a family member, or are simply curious about what your steps will be when you need them, you have come to the right place.
0: Oh, hey, and while you're here, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And after that, make sure you send this to a friend. Yes, do it. All right, we'll quit fooling around and get to it. <laughs> Let's go. Class is in session. Hello, Sunshines and hello Julie. Well, hello, Ingaella. How, the How heck are, you? are you? I'm so good. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited because we have a guest speaker today. Yes. She's not really a guest. She's kind of like family to us, but right. right. But
1: you know she's a, a guest on time. the podcast.
0: Yes. Well, I was gonna start off by asking about like what's your favorite fall activity and what do you have in store for Farm Girl? Um, farm girl artwork. But instead, I just want you two to talk about how you know each other. Well,
1: to the left of me (laughs) is Jennifer Schaffner. She's a social worker at Encompass Health, formerly Frontier Hospice here in town. And we have known each other actually a long time.
2: A very long time.
1: Yeah, we uh, met each other up at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And... You worked there for a long time, and then you just transition. You worked there for a while. Yeah, about 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was there, 26. Yeah, uh, yeah. You get uh, the winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. Don't
0: you guys have some stories about <laughs> doing some classes so, together? So this
1: is the thing. <clears throat> I should have had Jennifer with me all throughout a college career <laughs> because um, we ended up having to have a, a medical terminology class <laughs> together. And um, we'd sat in the back, and we were like the – not the teacher's favorite, I don't think. <laughs> um, but uh, we had to, it was it was like just this major competition.
2: There was a little competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So basically I'd get my results back and she'd get hers and we'd have to see who'd first show. And <laughs> the winner got a happy dance. And I finally, I got an A in a class. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Where were you earlier on in and her I'm life? Saying, my mother would have paid her <laughs> to go to all of those classes <laughs> with me.
0: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> That is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we do have to go to the favorite fall. What What is your favorite fall activity? What do you have planned? Oh, you know,
1: one of my favorite things to do is just because it's outside and you're enjoying everything, is bringing the cows home from summer pasture. Nice. And it's a really big job, so it's actually, um, you're really tired and you get pretty cranky, but um, it's so good to get the girls home and um, then move into the transition of having them and those chores at home
0: all the time. Nice. Yeah. I, I was thinking my favorite fall thing also has to do with farm life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's breeding season for us with the sheep. And so the ram gets a marking harness on. So I love coming home after work and getting to go out into the pasture and see if any of the girls have been marked. <laughs> wow. I know.
2: <laughs> Jennifer's like, uh, I don't know about you people. <laughs> so what about you? Um, nothing with farming. <laughs> no cows or sheep going on here. Uh, um, I I like to just get out and walk. The colors are so beautiful and the air is usually crisp with just a cool coolness about it that Mm -hmm. is refreshing and I don't know I just love this time of year. It's actually my favorite time of year.
0: I do too. The the, um, temperature like where a sweatshirt is just the right amount. That's my favorite temperature outside. Yeah. And the fall colors are just gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. it. I just don't like what comes after it. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the yeah. well, snow. Don't think too the, far ahead. That snow. That's true. Yeah. Right. Just live in the moment. I'm gonna. I'm yeah. gonna. Just appreciate yeah. where we are. Right.
2: Right. <laughs> and if you didn't have cows or sheep, you could leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is true. But
1: oh, speaking of leaving. Congratulations on your retirement. Ah, thanks. (laughs) we had to get you in here before you were gone, gone. You know it. So you've been a social worker now for how many years?
2: Well, 28 in the Valley, and then before that I was uh, five in um, North Idaho, Spokane, working in adoptions, actually.
1: Wow. 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 And so now your focus is on hospice, and you've had an incredible career with some really great programs like um, WINGS, yeah, oh, and yeah. and you actually began that whole process, yeah. didn't you?
2: Yep, yep. Yeah. One of those.
1: So you worked with cancer patients. You've seen it all.
2: Yeah, I. Uh, you know, you learn how to live when you work with people oh. that have bad disease. Uh, mm-hmm. All this other stuff falls to the wayside, and I don't know. And Wings was started. It was so cool. There was a gal from Libby that couldn't come in for her treatment because she didn't have enough gas money. Mm. And I thought, and I was, you know, a twenty-eight-year-old social worker. I'm like, you should not have to die because of gas money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, boom, wings. There's (laughs) uh, enough people that had the same thought that that's. It was a God thing, honestly, the way it came together.
1: Oh, well, we're going to miss you a lot. You have just always been just so much fun and and such a blessing to talk to every time we've had the same client and we got to work together as a team. It's really, really been cool. It's been some of my favorite times.
2: Oh, Mm -hmm. thanks, Julie. But, uh, you know, I'm still going to be around. I'm I'm actually thinking about writing a book.
0: Ah. That's awesome. So So we'll have to have you come back on as a guest after you write your book.
2: Yeah. Tell us about that. Oh, well, you know, it's kind of a combination of some stories of my career mm-hmm. and my personal life, and it's uh, going to be about love and forgiveness. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's, that's that's awesome. so big. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, it's like uh, you just watch things in, in your lifetime and you feel really blessed, but um, I've been given a lot of gifts in my career and to... To be witness to people as they face their life and their mortality and and their relationships with each other is such an honor. And every time I have interacted with people and had that kind of an honor and and just raw, real conversation, Mm -hmm. the topic hasn't been money or houses or cars. The real conversations have been about love and mistakes and forgiveness. and. It's just such a beautiful topic, and um, I think we can talk about it more. It's, mm. a, it's a beautiful topic.
0: Yeah. Oh. Well, p- pencil us in when you get that book written that you'll have to come back and talk to us oh again. <laughs> i
1: so excited to get to see that. That's very cool. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. What an incredible
0: topic. And Julie, so yeah. you picked our verse for this week, and you picked it because our topic for today's show actually is hospice. Um, helping others simply pass into calm eternity. Mm-hmm. And so go ahead and read the verse to us that you chose. Well, it's John 3.16. <laughs> I think
1: almost everybody knows that one. It's, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, on purpose, like you said, I picked that because a, a lot of the um, feelings that go through your head as you're you're in that Process of hospice is knowing where you're going to end up. Yep,
0: and that's absolutely a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's why I chose that. Well, you did a fine job, Julie. You got an A today because Jennifer always brings out the best <laughs> in <didn't> you. <laughs>
1: Yay!
0: <laughs> well, if any of you listeners out there um, have a verse, something that's meaningful to you, please. Please email us at thecaregivenpodcast at gmail.com. Share it with us. Um, we like we love to know what the meaning is it for you, what the meaning is for you personally. But if you don't want to share that and just want to share the verse, we we would love to have that as well. So again, please email thecaregivenpodcast at gmail And we'll move into our section on uplifting stories of the week. Julie, you get to go first. Yes. Well, mine is
1: not so much a story, more of just um, uplifting, sorry, but just more of a, a life thing, uh, because once again of the hospice topic, and there was a, a guy that had gone to a funeral, and he was looking at the tombstones, and he said, you know, um, what's going on here is that they talk about the death of the, the date of birth, and then the, the date of death, he said, but what's most important is that dash in between, Mm -hmm. And he said, for that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved him know what that little line is worth. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. Mm -hmm. So um, think about what time you have left and what are people going to say about you when you're gone. And so they said to be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in your lives like we've never loved them before. So when your eulogy is being read with your life actions to rehash, would
0: you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? I I love that. that. Yeah. I love it. And what's really cool about that is kind of, it just rolls right into what I wanted to talk to you guys about with my uplifting story. It's not, not a story per se, but, um, basically this article that I found, it talks about how stories or music can synchronize the heartbeats of everyone that is listening into oh. a, like a single rhythm. Oh. So as you're reading it, I'm thinking about that and feeling, you know, as you go through it, how it, How it lines up but anyway so this article goes on to talk about how back um in the midst of time before gutenberg's printing press uh before the chinese had invented parchment paper before clay tablets and um humans passed information along through stories right So it turns out that um, those thousands of years of storytelling tradition may have actually altered our our biology. Um, Basically, when you think about Once Upon a Time or My Fellow Americans, it synchronizes the fluctuations of heart rates between the individuals listening to it. So human hearts don't beat in perfect rhythm. And um, depending on a person's level of like physical fitness, the fluctuations and variability in those regular beats, they can be um, actually measure almost entire seconds. But as, um, as speakers and listeners listen, their hearts literally beat as one. Mm. So if you think about it talks later in this, um, there was, a, a Heart rate experiment, where the subjects were presented with a one-minute audiobook snippet from uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and they found that there was significant correlation with the heart rate synchronicity between the subjects, but they also wanted to have a control on it, so they basically gave the same subjects different one minute sections and the heart rate synchronicity dropped significantly. So basically it just goes on to talk about um, if you imagine being like at a concert hall that all of the musicians and they're playing in a perfect um, synchronized rhythm, but at the same time, everyone in that concert hall, your, your hearts are almost beating in that same rhythm. So it's almost like all of these humans become one big, like large organ (laughs) It's just, isn't that crazy? But it makes sense. I would never have thought about
1: that. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was very interesting. So, Uh and you proved it. Well, I mean, I I think you guys' hearts were beating the same as mine as Julie was reading The Dash. (laughs) I'm going to go with that. So stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll stick with that. Anyway, so interesting. And if you guys want to know more about that stuff, um, I'm sure that Alyssa will have it posted on our show notes so that you can go back and check my storytelling um, information sharing (laughs) credibility. (laughs) I guess. Yes. Um, okay. So Jennifer, you are here to meet with us today and talk with us about hospice. We talked a little bit, you know, early on in this conversation about who you are, but do you, is there anything else you want to tell us kind of about your career? How, you said you started out in Spokane, Coeur area. Yep. Is that what mm-hmm. you said? Just kind of walk, tell us who you are. Oh, geez. Um. But keep it short,
2: lady. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just okay. teasing. <laughs> Don't write a book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, um, I got my master's degree in social work at, at uh, Eastern Washington University oh, nice. in Cheney. Nice. And uh, my folks were born and raised in the Coeur d'Alene um, homestead area, and then military life took us oh. all over, but I, we ended up back there. So I graduated, and I worked for Lutheran Social Services for five years, doing adoptions and working with birth moms and helping with reunions. It was, it was fun, but wow. it's challenging work. I and, can imagine. Um, And then I took a vacation to Glacier Park and and (laughs) Rest was well, I I should live here. And there was an opening for Oncology Social Worker and I didn't know what oncology meant. And so I went home and my mom, who's a nurse, I said, Mom, I'm I'm interested in this job. Cancer, you don't want it. (laughs) Uh, So, of course, I interviewed and took it (laughs) because that's what you do. (laughs) And it was really cool. So I moved here in 1993. And started out as the oncology social worker at the time. Sally Cameron Russell was the social worker and Betsy Robinson. It was just a cool group of people that taught me about hospital social work. And then over time, you know, Medicare regulations change and, and all of a sudden it's discharge planning and a bunch of other stuff. And so it kind of took some turns here and there. I started WINGS, helped with case management, um, so I helped develop some different programs within at that time it was calspell hospital mm. and um and so um that was fun and then over time, I helped with the cancer support community and help with palliative care and um and then a couple years ago, there was some stuff that just happened and I ended up leaving and working for at the time it was frontier hospice and um they were bought out by this company called Encompass hospice and um and now I'm just, I'm ready to retire and wow. do something totally different and what I want to do rather than, I mean, it's not that I didn't want to do right. all that other stuff, but it's like, wow, it's what point can you just throw all this to the wind and say goodbye to corporate America <laughs> and mm. hang your own shingle and do your own thing and we'll see what comes out of it. But um, I love being a social worker. I love, the thing I like about it is I think about my whole career, I worked with people from birth to death. Mm-hmm. And um, all of it was such a huge honor. And to me, the most sacred time is end of life. Mm-hmm. And so I love palliative care and hospice work and working with people with just challenging diseases. Um, because all the bull is taken out. Yeah. And you're raw and it's real and it's life. And you just don't have the time for sm- smallness and yeah. irrelevancy. and. Right. It's just beautiful, and when I get to be a part of it, it's such an honor, and I used to do the Bosom Buddies was the <laughs> breast cancer support group, and honestly, that group of women taught me how to live, Yeah, and they were just share their stories and their hopes and what defines them and all sorts of stuff, and I was just a young Yahoo, and all of a sudden, I was a young Yahoo with an old soul, mm-hmm. oh. and yeah. um, you learn real quick what's real, and um Man, it was just such a privilege to wow. to to be a part of that group, and and now with hospice, it's a huge privilege when people say, you know, hey, it's my last chapter. Want to come come mm-hmm. along for the ride? And um, wow! And I've always said that um, the only commodity you have at end of life is time. Nothing else matters. And so your time and how you choose and who you choose to give that time to is a bucket of gold. Mm -hmm. And when somebody opens their door to you and says, Here, have a bucket of my gold, I mean, it's just (sighs) I just embrace that and to listen to them and to hear their stories and, you know, to to hopefully help. I mean, that's what hospice is about is providing, you know, symptom management and help. But the interesting thing was when you were talking, Julie. It's like, okay, we're talking about you know hospice and when people are dying. So let's let's talk about this phrase here. And I view it a little different. When I hear hospice, I hear let's talk about living. Oh, I love that. And yep. Um, I don't think any of us say, okay, I'm today I'm going to die. I mean, you might want to, <laughs> um, but it's just not. Yeah. Most people are just wanting symptom management, and and they want to live the longest life possible without suffering right with symptom suffering and right. so so hospice benefit is actually that it's like how do we help you have the best life mm-hmm. as long as possible without the pain without the suffering that goes with it and so you have all these modalities that can come in and help you to try and uh, different ways and then you you almost have to barter okay do you want to be more awake and have conversations and have a little more pain so that you can be present and so you do this weird dance Mm -hmm. and every person absolutely every person is different yeah and it's it's beautiful yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: so when we talk about home care and the way that uh, our businesses have uh, coupled up quite often to to um, help with the hospice thing, there's two different ways that people come to us um, with hospice is people that are already on hospice and they need the extra care. Then there's those that we are with that we then start to have to have tough conversations with the family to say, I think you need to talk to a hospice professional so that you can understand exactly really how wonderful this program is. I'm a believer. I love it so much um, because of the quality people that we have dealt with. And But I think there's a stigma to it. And then also that um, we just people needed to get educated, that it's not scary it is it's a blessing yeah so can you talk oh you hit the
2: nail right on the head and and I almost wish they they could go back and change the word um yeah (laughs) because when people hear hospice they think they have to be on their deathbed right and so they're like oh Oh, you think I'm dying and so if you bring it up they think you know something they don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard. And so um how to have those conversations but I wish we could just shift that whole paradigm about hospice and um hospice again is about living but the on the bell curve this is all medicare driven. Mm-hmm. Is medicare says you have to, your doctor has to declare that he or she thinks you have less than six months to live per the normal bell curve. Mm -hmm. And so given your diagnosis and your disease process, you know, you're, you're cruising along in your trajectory of life. And as we age, and as we get disease that, you know, our, our 10,000 elevation plane is actually now at 5000 feet. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's so, so you're kind of getting closer and closer to the time when we all get to die. Right. And uh, there's fear in that for a lot of people. And it's mostly about pain and suffering than ending life. Mm-hmm. And, um, or they feel bad about leaving people. And so yeah. With all of that, it's like okay. So, how do you guess when the next six months are going to be? And so, some disease process allows you to be more realistic and on time than others. But uh, if you again the normal bell curve, maybe you don't remember this, Julie, because <laughs> I didn't have that class with you. Right. <laughs> um, but there's a two percent on each end of that. You know, mm-hmm. the the six month falls in the middle, and so there's going to be two percent that might die sooner and there are going to be two percent that die later and uh, we've had people on for almost three years oh, wow um we've had people on for three hours um, right. so it just varies um and so it's an educated guess by the physician and uh, as to where where they think they're at with that and the answer is it or the question would be would it surprise you if so-and-so would die within by Christmas? Right. And if it wouldn't be a surprise, they're ready for hospice. And how then do you bring that up? Because, you know, when you say the word hospice, they're going to freak on you and mm-hmm. think, you, again, you know something that they don't know and mm-hmm. that they're dying. And then it could cause them to get depressed or to, you know, all sorts of things can happen depending on somebody's entire history. So everybody is unique in how they do that. But one in five people graduate off of hospice. Yeah. I mean that's a huge number, yeah. And so you could be one of those people that actually do better, and that's what I love about hospice. And I wish Medicare could expand the coverage because if you get hospice, you get these people coming to your home, mm-hmm. and you know some people don't like that, but most of us are. It's like you don't have to get in a car, and when you're really sick, getting in a car is painful. Mm-hmm. Driving on a bumpy road is is horrible you're in pain, you're shaking, you're, you're pooping, you're peeing, you're vomiting. I mean, all of that stuff. And now you're in a car, you know, and a lot of us live out, out, out of bounds. Right. And so it's like a 15, 20 minute drive and stops and turns are horrible and all of that. And so it's cool because with hospice, we come to you and, and it's a Medicare benefit. So there is an, is it's free for you, but so here we come and you have a nurse, you have a doctor that oversees it, that works with your primary care doctor. You have an aide, you have a social worker, a spiritual care provider. You might have music therapy, you might have a volunteer. There's just all sorts of options to, to look at and say, what can help meet your needs in, in the end of your life? And um, it's a beautiful program because it all comes to you. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but when I go to the doctor, I'm at my best. (laughs) I clean up, I'm showered, I look really good. I have clean underwear on, all the things that you do when you go to a doctor's office. And so it's real easy for your doctor to not really know what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. and so and you forget i don't know about you you go in front of your doctor all of a sudden you forget <laughs> what your problems are and right. it, it just is amazing i'm
0: not really sure why i'm here
2: <laughs> and so we encourage people to take notes and to, to yes. ask questions and none of us do so um the cool thing about again hospice is the nurse shows up and you could be having your worst moment and so they see with their own eyes what's really happening and it's what happens with that is it allows for better symptom management When you have better symptom management, your body is doing better and is healing, and you could live longer. It's not everybody, but it's some people. And so you start having these people nurture you, and a lot of us are not good at letting people nurture us. Right, right. And so you let people come in and nurture you and take care of you, and then you might feel well enough to where maybe you feel well enough to go give chemo another shot so you can actually if you start feeling better and things are going well you can cancel hospice and go have treatment again Mm -hmm. so it's it's um it's a beautiful program because of that if you want to continue treatment and have symptom management that's palliative care Mm -hmm. and so palliative care doesn't go to your home and provide that same in-home wraparound service but they have great physicians and nurse practitioners, and now they even have a nurse here in Kalispell. Every community is different in how they design their palliative care. With hospice, everybody's the same because it's Medicare-driven. Right. But with palliative care, it's very unique to each office. Our office in Kalispell, we have some incredible physicians and, and providers, and you know they just don't have a team that can go bouncing into your home to, um, to address all the issues. Because the payment structure by Medicare is different. But if you want to continue treatment, you want to continue getting some sort of, whether it's, I resort to cancer just because that's my history. And so I I know cancer gets a lot of attention. So I don't mean to leave out anything else, Alzheimer's, (laughs) COPD, um, all that stuff. But any disease that you have, if you want to continue treatment, you can still get your treatment and get symptom management with palliative care. Both good programs. Yes, very much so.
1: So what I like to do is just tell people, you, you just need to call these professionals so they can explain to you, you know, because they're, they're worried about the money, yeah. and they're, they're worried about that word, hospice. It's a horrible and, word. And I, I just encourage them, and I just tell them, I, I love this program so much, and I just don't feel that a, a very large portion of
2: our population never really takes advantage of it. It's under scared of it. yeah And the cool you know another thing is that it's hundred percent covered by Medicare mm-hmm. and not just all of the things we talked about, the doctor, the nurse, the aide, the social worker, and by the way, you're in charge. you can, you can say no, you don't want a social worker or a spiritual care provider, but um, all of these people, but it also covers all of your medications with your disease, all of your um, equipment and your medical supplies and it's all delivered to your home. And so it's just this it's a it's all inclusive to try and give you the most quality life possible. And it's what happened is they they discovered that most people really don't want to go to the hospital. Right. <laughs> Especially when they have end of life stuff. Right. We just don't want to go there. Oh no. It's a horrible place to be. <laughs> I mean right. it's like it's great when you're sick and you're getting some treatment and then you can go home. But when you're end of life, you want to be around your stuff and your loved ones, and you want to be in your home, and you know, and you get to the ER, there are going to be bright lights, there are going to be 50 million people poking, prodding you, and and they're going to, like, be giving you all these tests to find out what's going on, and it's what they found is most people don't want to know anymore, they're done with this, they just want to be comfortable. And so it's like being put on a railroad track and now having to lift that train up and put them on another track, whether it's palliative care, whether it's hospice. It's a whole different way of thinking, and it's about symptom management, keeping people at home, honoring their wishes, understanding that human being enough to know what they would and wouldn't want. And if it's the end of my life, I really don't want to go to the ICU. Um it's one thing if something happens and I'm going to get over the hump and I'm going to be able to go home. But when you, you just know that that's not going to happen. And so it's like, I want people to come to me Mm -hmm. and, um, and I want to be able to eat chocolate chip cookies, (laughs) you know, it's like, um, you know, even though, you know, I might be on a heart diet, you know, it's like all the rules. I I just look at what's important to me and, um, It's the people and it's my home and it's my own environment and that's what other people have wanted. So that's where hospice got started was to try and keep people at home and they just defined it with that six months. Mm -hmm. And then since then palliative care, it was actually originally a part of hospice. It was palliative care and hospice, but then there's all sorts of Medicare rules that kicked in, but um, they're separate now. Oh, good. Good. So that's helpful.
1: Yeah. Okay. A good
2: thing. Yeah.
1: Good. Good. I um, So, is there anything that, in, in, in when you're talking to people in, in our shoes, is there something that we can be telling people to encourage them to call sooner, or, you know, uh,
2: I wish. We, I, yeah.
1: We we get stuck a lot yeah. in a, in a bad situation because people haven't been given good information. Yeah, about it. Um, And so we we just I always I've come to the point that I just say, you know, why don't you get more education, you know, just so you can make a a good decision.
2: You know, I wish I knew the magic answer that uh, not only you are looking for, but all of us Mm -hmm. because it's um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what hospice is. Um, And again, most people think it's that. Right when you're on your deathbed, we'll call them in because it's giving up, yeah, right. and hospice is not about giving up. And so, to have conversations, encourage them to call. Um, it's a it's truly about um, living that life of hope and fear, and there's a fine dotted line between the two. And one of the beautiful things, if you can convince somebody. You know, hey, you know, you're eligible for hospice. Yay! Um, This is a great program. Um, This is why I want to write my book on love and forgiveness is because a lot of people, when they get to the end of their life, um, they either feel like they need to be forgiven or they need to forgive others. All of us have lived our lives and have made some mistakes. Mm -hmm. All of us. And so some pretty big mistakes if you want to call them that or lessons or however you want to word it but we've all done stuff that as we lay on our deathbed and we're doing that film of our life we look back at like oh and um you know my mom passed away four years ago and she she was from Coeur and she had horrible disease. And then, ha- having had horrible disease, she got worse disease. She had pulmonary fibrosis, which means hardening of the lung. So she was eventually, and she was an old nurse. She was like nurse ratchet. <laughs> she, she knew that she was going to, like, suffocate, basically. And I think of, you know, the COPD and that group of people knowing, th- you know, stuff about their life ending is scary, so hospice can help with that mm-hmm. and help um, help with the breathing and relieving that. And so the anxiety isn't there. So she, she was on hospice. And so great, she got on hospice. She died a week later of a heart attack. Oh. But I was glad she was on hospice and I was getting ready to spend time with her and going and helping take care of her because I had things in my life that I was now looking back at all the way from when I was six years old and stupid things I said or something like that. And I wanted to know that she forgave me for being a stupid six year old oh. and she died. Oh, Jennifer. And, you know, I think of that and it's like, okay. And also I talked to my dad about it. I processed, it. I went through therapy, um, <laughs> you know, just all the stuff we do. But, um, those are the kind of things that, when somebody's on their deathbed, they're going through a list. You're going through a list. It's a normal process to start thinking of your lives together and in that interaction. And you know, I can't tell you how many times in working with people, a uh, an affair has happened. Mm-hmm. Not with me, um, <laughs> but but somebody in that marriage has had an affair, and they need to know they were forgiven. That happens more than we would realize or just something like that and it's a big and it's guilty and maybe the person dying doesn't need it yeah but the people that are going to have to live the rest of their life do and so that's another advantage of when you start working with hospice is we have people social work and spiritual care providers that can help bring up difficult conversations that make it the best ending possible Maybe there's one kid in the family that was the wayward youth and we need to call them back. Maybe there just needs to be some resolution. And so the opportunity to actually have the best ending possible in all sorts of levels is there. Um, spiritual, physical, and emotional. It's uh, the opportunity to heal at all levels um, provides itself. And so you know, we know all of these things, and you could you can't just sit down and, and somehow, like, plug in a thumb drive to some human being so they can get it. And so how do you share all of that? We've also met cool people. Oh, my gosh. We've met some of the coolest people. And guess what? We can do life review videos with them. Oh, and so they can talk about World War II and the things they did or building, going to the Sun Road or yep. living through the Great Depression and, and fishing in streams where you can just grab fish out <laughs> of the water. Some of these stories are absolutely incredible. And so they get to talk about that and how they were raised and where they were raised, and we're losing that Um, through living all over. And we, we just don't have a lot of that anymore. And so that's something also offered by hospice. And so you can have all sorts of opportunities to create your story and tell your story if you want to, you're in charge. But like you said, here's all these great advantages, and you and I know it, and we just can't get the word out there. I hope people listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh, Inga, get your mom on it. <laughs> I
0: know. She's on it, man. Got, yeah, she she is, is on it. for sure.
2: <laughs>
1: My mom and her
0: mom.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. No,
1: that's yeah. why we wanted you here is because truly we know and appreciate what you guys, your team does. Um, and we just want to share that with people because so many people, boy um when we're dealing with a end of life situation so much of the time um it's not necessarily for the person that's actually passing it's for the family right yeah,
2: absolutely yeah
1: and and so for them to have all these different tools that they can choose and pick what's best for their their people and then afterwards don't you guys also have like grief yeah
2: thanks for bringing that up yeah <laughs> actually you you know we're available for per our Brochure, we're available 13 months after somebody dies, wow. but it's usually it can be longer. Sure. And yeah. and most people, you know, somebody dies and we all just go through normal grief. There's a percentage where it's a little bit more complicated, yeah. so we have bereavement support and we can follow up with people and help them um, get through that and 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 reestablish their life. Um, and so that's a, 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 absolutely a benefit of it. And um, interesting, um, 10%, there's been studies, 10% of the people living in nursing homes uh, across the nation meet criteria for hospice. Oh. And I don't know about you, but I I don't know that we've ever had 10% of any nursing home on hospice. Right. And so the thing about hospice is we provide our services in your home, whatever your home is. It can be a nursing home, assisted living, your house, your kid's house. Um, it could be a under the bridge. It can be a tent. We've helped homeless people. Wow. And so, um, again, some of it is working on bridging that relationship with lost ones during your life. And some of it is just meeting you right where you're at and helping you find your, find your way. Oh, so, you.
1: and, and you don't realize, um, until you've been through a, a family member leaving, uh, that how you're going to be right? Yeah. And so th- I can now much more appreciate somebody on the other side that's um, dealing with all of these emotions. And um, like when when we were going through our stuff with dad, um, it was very interesting. Four kids, four total different ways of dealing with it. Yeah. And so that's really, <laughs> really interesting to, and, and there's no right way and there's no wrong way. Oh. We each have our things, all oh. of our memories, all of our our guilty things, our whatever, and um, you know whatever those little weird things are that we put up into our heads <laughs> and fester on, you know, and 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 usually those are some of the things that come out yeah. during this process.
2: Yeah, you're right. There is no wrong way, yeah. and everybody does it different. And uh, you, it made me laugh because I was remembering when my mom was dying. Oh my God! Funny stories. My mother, she was such a nurse. <laughs> and by the way, she didn't like social workers. <laughs> so so you I promptly became one. Oh, you know. yes. <laughs> and so, um, so she had died before. Like she, uh, 18 years prior, she had had a heart attack and she died. And they called the paramedics. They came and they did everything. They brought her back. And, and she had to be shocked 11 times. Oh, my, my goodness. So she's being shocked. She's in the ER now and, and the paddles, you see that where the bodies go ka and yes. they fly in the air and everybody stand back and um, like they're, they're shocking you with like major electricity. Mm. So here she is. Well, she came to during that oh. and she's... I invoke my
1: rights.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so she's trying to tell the doctor that she has an advanced directive and she wants to die and to leave her alone. Oh, no. <laughs> and he said, this is recoverable. ka <laughs> <laughs> Boom. But so she's telling me later on that she actually died. She knew she was dead. She left her body and was in the light. So me, being such a social worker, (laughs) I'm like, oh, and I'm thinking she's in this beautiful light and everything's warm. And she's like, no, you dumb shit. (laughs) The light. I was in the fluorescent tube watching. (laughs) (laughs) Like. So, so that's my mom. <laughs> so I'm like all into this, uh, you know, spiritual <laughs> meaning of it. And she's so physical. She's always physical. And she's like, no, I was watching him do it. And he shocked me again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. So, and, but is what she described was how peaceful she felt. Oh, and so I- when she really went to die, the, you know, years later, um, she was okay with it.
0: I I have heard that many times, um, like drowning victims that come back, just the, the level of peace yeah. that they have. Yeah, that's got to be super comforting. I know that uh, some of the patients that we have worked with our clients that we've worked with who are on hospice, if there are unresolved issues, mm-hmm. it can be torture for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very, very hard time letting go in you know, what we've, we've seen, but the people that are able to work through that and oftentimes with the help of hospice teams, it's, it just makes it such a better passing for them.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's why I really plug hospice for a sooner referral rather than Mm -hmm. later, but oftentimes six months isn't enough. And so you have a lifetime of a lot of stuff and you might not be able to have any resolution, but is there enough? Is there right. enough to where your scar has a little bit of healing on it? And that's our hope for some people. You can't change everybody. Um, and, you know, it's up to them. And so you can just provide them with an opportunity and to try and help them. But one time I was working with a woman and none of her kids got along and and they were all very wildly different. And um, her, her last wish was she just wanted her family to get along. And so everybody was able to pull it together and fake it while she died Ugh. so that she could have a peaceful ending. Right. And so, you know, God bless them. They, you know, it's like they were able to do that. And then their family fell apart afterwards because you can only hold on to that for so right. long without having a lot of extra work and support for each member. Right. They didn't want to go there. But it was so sweet to watch them come together mm-hmm. so that their mom you know, could at least have her, her last wish come true. It's so sweet. And so everybody, how they choose to honor that and what they want to do is different. And again, there's no wrong answer. It's just so incredibly beautiful to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. You
0: guys offer um, education in the community, right? Tell us a little bit about some of those things that you will do.
2: Oh, we have all sorts of different uh, programs that we can come to. Um, any any group that wants education, we've talked, you know, I'm doing another one tomorrow on advanced directives. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a real popular one, explaining what it's about and what the different forms are and what it all means. And then, of course, with 28 years of working in healthcare, I have all sorts of stories. (laughs) And so it it actually makes it real. So people can really think and have good conversations. We talk about hospice 101, just kind of explaining what hospice is. Oftentimes that's done in assisted living or in nursing homes, because it's the staff, especially the aides Mm -hmm. that see people again and again, and they're starting to see them like just decline. And so there are things you can look at in older people and saying, okay, they're sleeping more, they're not interacting as much, they're not eating as much. Those are signs that their body is starting to give in. And so just educating people and stuff about hospice. um, Then we can also do it on pain, on symptom management, on, um, gosh, we have a whole list of it. I I don't recall off my head, but. Well, you've got a pretty good list going already. (laughs) Yeah. We just try to help people understand bad disease and options. Yeah. So many times when we will talk to people about
0: hospice, um, the response is, well, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. Right? So that the more we can learn about it, the more we can educate our staff and be able to talk to people about, you, you know, there's never going to, it's like you're going to save your money and you're going to, you know, have the first house before you have the baby and all of these things, right? (laughs) Just don't wait because these benefits are there and they're Uh so helpful. And like you've mentioned, I mean, there's a large percentage of people that actually graduate off of hospice. So why not take
2: advantage of what's available to you for that comfort Uh and quality of life? I agree. Um, I think, again, a lot of people think that when they're on hospice, it's like it. And that they they can't graduate off or they won't get better. And so in our minds, we're saying, wow, mom's going to die. Right. And a lot of us just can't go there. It's, it's There's a okay. lot of
0: denial for sure. And, you know, we, we work with people who truly believe that their loved one will get better or will recover.
2: And that's heartbreaking too. And our hope is they will. Yeah. Yep. And so if one in five actually do get better, we can be a part of that, and we can help them with symptom management so that they don't suffer while that's happening, and then, boom, they can graduate off. And so it's, again, there's uh, you know, Dr. Carlberg, one of the palliative care docs, she's the one that talked to me a lot about the fine line between hope and fear. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of us have that fear that this is the end, and we think that if we give up hope, that we're giving up Mm -hmm. and we can be hopeful and still be afraid and still move forward and so how do you you know let's provide some help for this person so that they don't suffer while we're scared with them one of the things that happens and I see it all the time is um, when we're suffering especially with end-of-life stuff it's a horrible place to be Mm -hmm. So you're the one, let's say you're the one that actually has bad disease and that you know that you're, you're on the trajectory and that you're, you're going to die sooner rather than later. And so you're scared. You're doing a life review. You're looking at things. You're like, wow, do I, do I quit my job? Do I, do I go play? All the things that go on in your mind. And you're alone. And so now you have your family and your friends, and they're thinking, oh, mom's dying but I don't want her to think that I'm thinking that. So I'm going to pretend, and I'm going to be hopeful, and I'm going to encourage her. So as what happens now is we're all suffering on parallel roads. Mm-hmm. And so we're each we're in the same boat, but we're totally on a different road driving right next to each other. Mm. One of the things we try to do in both palliative care and in hospice is merge those roads so that there can be some communication and a little bit of suffering together and hope together, because they can live together. But how do we get everybody on the same page? Because, oh my gosh, when you walk into somebody's home and they each are suffering in their own room, it's palpable. And how do we get everybody on the same page so that we can cry together, so that we can be together? So my mom, I always use my (laughs) examples. There I am. So I kind of know what's going on. She's not on hospice yet. I call up hospice in Coeur d'Alene I say, hey, somebody has pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, What are the symptoms or what do they need? Where do they need to be at to be on your service? And they said, oh, oxygen is the huge thing. Their, Their O2 sats have to be under 75. I don't remember what it was. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, when I talk to my mom on the phone, she's faking it because all moms don't want their kids to know how much they're suffering. So she's faking it. (laughs) She's telling me how great she's doing. So I drive to Coeur (laughs) d'Alene, get my eyes on her. (laughs) like, huh, she doesn't look as good as she says. And so brothers are there, and we're having a barbecue. I think it was her birthday even. So we're having a little barbecue. My dad and my older brother are out back barbecuing, and I'm like, so, Mom, what's your O2 set?
0: 99 <laughs> and, and like, then her pants caught fire
2: <laughs> well and so i told her to take the o2 <laughs> off her nose and then tell me what it is 62 oh my god! i started crying just like no thought to it like instant like uh. so i'm crying my brother wa- and so like my mom hates to see people cry she's that kind of nurse <laughs> so, so crying I'm aloud i'm crying so oh my god. i went running to my room And so my brother comes in from barbecuing. What's going on? (laughs) Oh, for Christ's sake, your (laughs) sister thinks I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm in the back room. My brother comes to my room and I'm like, Mom I'm dying. (laughs) Well, that's what she said. You said. (laughs) And so I told her what happened. Now he's crying. And I'm like, oh, geez. (laughs) And so it's what that moment did, though, is it got us all on the same page. Mm-hmm. It was inadvertent, it just happened, but here we all kind of knew it. Uh-huh. And none of us were talking about it. And so now here we are and yes, mom is dying. Yeah. You know, and that was end of April and she died the end of July. Wow. And so um yeah. Yeah, it's like how do you get people on that same page and start talking about it? And again, I can talk till I'm blue in the face about all these great advantages to hospice and getting people together. And you guys have both said it. It's it's hard to get people to say, "Yeah, I want hospice." Right.
0: Yeah, I I love how you say that. Hospice is not about dying. Hospice is about living. Yeah, I mean that completely shifts the perspective. Oh my goodness! And um, it's that really that changes everything when you look at it from that, from the proper angle. Yep. Oh, thanks.
2: Yeah.
1: Yep. I will certainly be using that from now on. I love that so much.
2: Yeah. I wonder what phrase you will read from the (laughs) Bible now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So tell me this really quickly. So basically I'm sure everybody's situation is different, right? So do, so symptom management, like pain management, um, do the nurses go in, Daily,
2: a couple times a week, every day, every once a w- you know what I Good question. Yeah. Good. There are some places throughout the U.S. that actually have hospice houses. And, oh, I wish we had one here. Mm-hmm. They are hard. They're usually, um, they don't pay for themselves. So usually you usually have some big contributor that has said, I'm going to give you a million dollars and I'm going to pay for all your expenses. Because it takes 24-hour nursing right. um, and you just don't get the reimbursement. So it's a hard thing to offer. It's a beautiful thing. So in Kalispell, we don't really have that. In Kalispell, we have your traditional hospice plan where a nurse comes into your home. They do the admission, which usually is a one-hour, two-hour interview with you, fill out some paperwork with the durable power of attorney, and, and then the next day come in and do a follow-up. And most of the time, the nurses come in once a week. Right. They can come in more than that depending on what's going on with your symptoms because their job is to get your symptoms under control and to try and do that in your own home because you want to avoid a hospital. Right. And so they're coming into your home with the doctor who's working with them trying to figure out what to do. They're usually pretty good. Symptom management for most people is about pain and bowels. (laughs) Those are (laughs) two big ones. And... um, And so they're really good at doing that, Um, different medications and adjusting them. Sometimes people are are working with a naturopath or herbs or different things, and so we we work with all of that. It's whatever you you need. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure that out. Chaplain um, can come in. They usually come in every other week, sometimes once a month. Um, But again, if you need it once a week, that's what you get to ask for, mm-hmm. and same with social work. A lot of people, they social work, you—you're not taking my kids. Um, <laughs> that old history of social workers right. being the CPS workers, yeah. and that's totally not what we do. Um, and so they can come in, and not only can they help with resources, like we help plug people in with Epaga and caregivers, and um, you know whatever's needed in the home to keep people in the home. Or if they're just too much work and they need a, a placement, we work with assisted livings and we're trying to find nursing homes, which right now with all three of those is challenging, by the oh way. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. But uh, we work with all of that. But you get to decide. On average, a nurse comes in once a week, an aide comes in one to three times a week, depending on who you are and what you need. Social worker and chaplain each come in maybe once a month. We have a music therapist that can come in. Um, I don't, not that often, because right. she's, we only have her one, and she has right. to cover everyone, and um, love w- inter- watching her interact, especially with people with memory issues. Oh. Music uh, is just incredible. Yeah, and... um And then we have volunteers that can come in and just sit with people for a couple hours, maybe while a loved one needs a break and goes to the grocery store. So it really varies, but honestly, for the most part, it's once a week nursing, um, once a month social work, once a month um, chaplain, and then aides one to three times a week. And you think, wow, that's all we get? Um, 24-hour nursing availability. So we give out these packets. They're called comfort packs that you usually put on top of your fridge and it has a whole bunch of different medications in it. And um, when something happens in the middle of the night, which it always does, Mm -hmm. and you call up our nurse who's available 24-7, then the nurse can walk you through, based on symptoms, what to go get out of that pack and give to your loved one so that their suffering is relieved. And if it's not relieved, which... 99% of the time it is. They'll either say you either need to go to the hospital or the nurse will come to your home. And so it's that availability. And then we have doctors and nurse practitioners that back us that we can always call and pharmacists. So we have a lot of tools to keep you home and comfortable.
1: I'll tell you, uh, we love working with hospice because in our situation, um, when somebody's on hospice, we don't call nine one one at any point anymore. We call you guys, and, and basically the way I explain that is you become our medical direction. And so whenever there's uh, maybe some shortness of breath or some anxiety or, or pain, we, we call you guys and you walk us through. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. And you guys are incredibly
0: responsive to us. We've You're- even actually had hospice nurses um, almost do bodyguarding. <laughs> We've had situations where uh, families, you know, things get, tense and can escalate in, in troubled times. And so I I vividly remember one of your nurses meeting with one of our caregivers, the, the caregiver had taken the, one of the clients and basically it wasn't the client that we were serving that was on hospice. It was a husband. So our caregiver had the wife and they were out in town driving around because, there was a blow up with the kids and then one of your hospice nurses met back <laughs> at, the, at the family home to go in and have the difficult discussions and, you know, kind of set the, set the expectations and the, the boundaries for the family. And, um, yeah, we absolutely love any time we hear that hospice is involved in a situation. It just it makes us happy because we know how much you guys bring to the table. And yeah, it becomes a pretty solid team mm-hmm. for that family. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a blessing for sure. Yeah, most yeah. most most of the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's been pretty pretty in depth. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, is there anything that you didn't we didn't ask you about or touch base on? I mean, I know oh, we could right. talk for days,
2: but right, we, better we, we better not. We better not. People have to go out and live their dash now. <laughs> yeah, get in, get into your dash. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I love. Um, sharing information about hospice. I think it's a a gift. I think it's a beautiful program. And um, again, Encompass Hospice is uh, the company I work with right now. And they used to be called Frontier. And um, man, we would love to hear from you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just start asking
2: questions. Yep. Yeah, we could answer them. You're not committed to anything. Um, we can have family meetings, we can talk to you about it, and then we can give you information so when you're ready for it, you'll have the information. Yeah. So um, really great. we're open to whatever we can do to give you all the information you need. Right.
0: I know that I have in the past had friends who live here in this community with family members that actually don't live in this community, and they'll ask questions, and I've actually said, call Frontier, <laughs> and they'll yeah. explain hospice to you. And, you know, I can say what I can say about it, but... Um, you guys have just been so accessible always and very willing to help and educate. So we appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Thanks for sure. Wonderful. So I'm not sure that we uh, are prepared for the grandma sayings and we probably sprung this one on you. Um, you've told us some stories about your mom, but at the end of our show, we always like to do what's called the grandma sayings or grandpa sayings. And it's things that people in that older generation, maybe, is there anything that your family said to you as you were growing up? That's kind of a, I don't want to say an old person saying, because that would be like a Julie saying, but um, <sighs> so old.
2: Wow, that's a good one. I stumped one. you. You yeah. did. <laughs> well, you know, I was in the military, so I wasn't around my grandparents oh, a lot. Yep. And so there wasn't, I mean, you, you think about things you miss out on. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say military brat, but it's like I missed out on um, being around my relatives. Right.
1: Well, Well, here's one for you. And it says, Grandma's never run out of hugs or cookies. (laughs) This is so
2: true.
0: (laughs) Or Cheetos and 7-Up, if it's my grandma. (laughs) My grandma always
2: had lemon drops on top of the TV. there you go. (laughs) That's good. That's awesome.
0: That's great. Good. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you again, Jennifer, for being here. We appreciate it. Um, What a a tremendous amount of knowledge you've been able to share with us. And what's cool about it is that while we are here in the Flathead Valley, um, this hospice information, it, it, it is applicable everywhere. So people that are listening, not necessarily in Kalispell, um, call your hospice agency. If you have questions, yeah. really encourage you to do that. Um, please think about subscribing to this podcast. You can do that on Spotify, Google podcast, Apple podcasts, and, um, you can watch the video on YouTube. You can also leave us a review. Um, please share this with your friends. Ask them to join our Apaga Karen Share Facebook group. Um, if you want to see kind of the lighter side, you can go on to TikTok and see some of our videos. Julie and I are not good dancers. <laughs> we're, we're out of rhythm and we're out of sync, but we sure have fun making those videos. <laughs> Check us out on Instagram. And um, again, I say this every time, we we are accepting reviews, but only positive reviews. So... <laughs> Feel free to give us five stars. It's a good thing that Inga wasn't in that class with us. Right? Oh, I'd have been—I would have never met you guys because I would have been sitting at the front of the oh. class. I would have been rolling my she eyes at the clowns her in the eyes back, at the
1: loud buggers back <laughs> in the back. Yep, uh, yeah.
0: But now, <laughs> I, I've been—you know—partners with Julie here for fourteen years, so I've—I've I've changed significantly. I've lightened up a lot. It's true. Any last parting words? Oh, I think we're good. Right, it's well. been a great day. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for Thank having you. Yeah. Peace out, Girl Scouts. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. The Caregiver name is a registered trademark of the Veritrust Health Incorporated Company. EPAGA is not connected to, affiliated with, or endorsed by Veritrust or any of its affiliates.